the world, the financial world around us is changing rapidly. Our users need us to help them adapt to that. So we want to move quickly. So we want to move quickly while having things be robust and stable. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Stripe. Stripe is a financial infrastructure platform for businesses. Millions of companies from the world's largest enterprises to the most ambitious startups use Stripe to accept payments, grow their revenue, and accelerate new business opportunities. Headquartered in San Francisco and Dublin, the company aims to increase the GDP of the internet. Welcome, everyone. Everyone here is probably very well aware of the success that Stripe has had over the years, not only as a company, but also in in fundamentally changing the payment infrastructure of the world. And so it's such an honor for me to be able to welcome David Singleton, CTO of Stripe, to this podcast. Welcome, David. Thanks, Carlos. Great to be here. I'm looking forward to a fun conversation. Yes, likewise. And I think partially one of the things I'm most excited about is that you have such a cool history, which I think is very relevant for a lot of the questions we're going to have. And so for the audience to get a sense for where we're headed is a lot of the challenges in growing a company quickly, in scaling a technology organization, in dealing with all the amplification of processes and products so that you can manage large teams of innovation. So a little bit of background on David. He studied CompSci at Cambridge, and then he started his first job at Symbian. And for those of you that are probably too young to know what Symbian is, it was the most lustworthy platform to build mobile apps on back in the day, and also powered some of the coolest phones by Nokia, and yet had a horrible ending, the sort of non-honorable ending in light of all that it had done for mobile technology. And so I want to start there, David. What are the biggest lessons that you learned that you think are still relevant? today about what might have gone wrong with Symbian and why it didn't manage to stay the leader of the pack when it was for so long. So I really enjoyed the time I spent at Symbian. We were building mobile phone operating system software, but for smartphones, before smartphones were really a thing that was ubiquitous in everyone's pockets, right? So we were all walking around with these feature phones, you know, people were SMSing and there was this promise of the mobile internet, but the reality was these WAP sites where it was very slow and it was like very difficult to get stuff done. But at Symbian, folks really did understand and predict the future. So for instance, we were building software to power devices that would have big touch screens. The idea of the keyboard being on the screen was something that existed. It was a company that was funded by a conglomerate of mobile handset manufacturers because they figured that building operating system software for the future was going to be very expensive and therefore they needed to kind of combine efforts in order to get it done. I think they also understood that when you have a platform that can run apps from developers on multiple manufacturers' handsets, that that might work well. And back then, so we're talking like 2001, people at Symbian were imagining what you could do with GPS on a phone. The ideas of turn-by-turn navigation, maps and so forth were, were all there. And you know, the real lesson there was we were really early. Uh, obviously today I say all those things and I was like, yeah, of course, like that's part of life today. Back then, it wasn't obvious that that all of this would come to pass. And there was, I think, a lot of desire to fit the needs of the present that actually got in the way a little bit of making some of those things become reality. 
But for me, in terms of my experience, uh, Symbium was a great place. We were, we were building software that had to run in really constrained environments. So you learned how to be very parsimonious with memory, how to really think hard about what does the user actually need right now? Because you had to ration all the resources of the device, battery, memory, et cetera. And then from a kind of software engineering perspective, it was very formative for me because I started there as a software engineer working on parts of their core communication stack inside the OS. But I then spent two years there as a technical consultant. So an engineer who was sent to work with these mobile handset manufacturers on device projects to turn the operating system software, which was kind of a bag of bits that got delivered. It wasn't like a fully fledged thing that you just put on a piece of hardware and it would do something. You had a lot of work to do yourselves. But the point is I went off around the world. And at the time I really enjoyed the travel. And I got to see teams of software engineers in different companies in different countries essentially doing the same project again and again and again. And it's amazing, like the differences in company culture, engineering management culture, software development culture actually showed up in very different outcomes and durations of those projects. For instance, I spent a bunch of time in Finland working with Nokia. Um, their products, the schedule in which they would ship was very predictable, but it was also much, much longer cycle than if you looked at, for instance, a similar project at Samsung, where they had a very different culture. I'm sure it's different today. This was a long time ago, but back then they would take two teams and give them the same brief, say, whichever is finished first is the one that gets to ship. And I just, I learned a tremendous amount about how to have teams try different things out and see what works. And then I was able to take that forward in my own personal development, which I find super valuable. Yeah, that's an interesting insight, how easily not only culture can be a weapon to do things right or a hindrance to do things wrong in terms of pace and speed. But I can also now understand where if you have all these different organizations that are jointly responsible for this one thing and they're going in different directions, you can end up with the outcome that ended up being Symbian. But there was something you said that caught my attention, uh, and maybe you didn't mean it specifically this way, but you were talking about how some things were too early or Symbian as a whole was too early on some things in a way where I know that Steve Jobs is generally credited with not necessarily being too early on things, just being at the right time. And I was wondering what advice you'd give to founders who are constantly having to balance this idea of prioritization of certain things that seem like if you don't get ahead of them, you might fall behind the pack, but at the same time, it could be too soon. How would you help somebody think through that balance? So I think if you're building a business that depends on hardware and software trends converging, this can be pretty difficult to predict. But if you're building a software business, I think that the principal thing that I've learned in my experience, not only at Stripe, but in particular at Stripe, is really focusing on your users and understanding what do they really need. So a lot of that being too early that we experienced at Symbian was we had ideas about what the capabilities of the devices in there might be, but... We weren't going off and talking to potential users because the phones didn't exist yet. And so we were just having to hypothesize what they might want. At Stripe, we really believe very deeply in putting our users first in all that we do. And that means actually talking to the real human beings that have the kinds of problems that we want to solve and learning about exactly what they need. And then we will work to get an early prototype of what we seek to deliver at scale in their hands as soon as possible. It's important to choose the right users. It's important to choose the folks that are, are willing to iterate on something with you and also might be prototypical of a much bigger group that you care about serving, but then really obsess about what they need. In the very early days of Stripe, John and Patrick, who are co-founders, actually pair-programmed a lot of the early Stripe integrations with some of our first users. And that was super useful because not only did it give them a sense of, well, what are these businesses doing, but it also helped them understand 
where there were any rough edges, where there were misinterpretations of what the requirements they might have might be, uh, where we needed to remove friction or document things better. And that led to the early product market fit of the Stripe API. So I think for anyone who's just getting started and worried about being too early, there's no substitute for iterating directly with your users really early on. Fair enough. And that's very good feedback. If we move along, I know we want to get to what you're doing now at Stripe. Before you went to Stripe, you spent quite a bit of time at Google. And I just wanted to pause there and see if there's any elements there that you learned that you think that you brought over to Stripe directly or indirectly. So I joined Google about 2006 in London. I know you're in London, Carlos, and joined as an engineer to help get that engineering office off the ground and joined to work on mobile products there before Android. So London at the time was a center of world excellence for mobile development. And with the Symbian experience, as soon as Google came to town, I was interested in joining because what I really wanted to learn there was how does a modern at the time internet first company that really seems to be doing software engineering right operate and so i certainly learned a tremendous amount about that i think that many of the technologies and innovations that were unique to google in 2006 are now available for anyone finding that company you know you can run your services in the cloud you can take advantage of a lot of the storage technologies and you know, request routing technologies that enabled services at Google to scale. And certainly there was a lot of that was important for me to learn. I think it's awesome that people getting started with startups today have access to a lot of that technology. I think the other thing that I learned a lot at Google was the idea of how to collaborate across time zones. So starting the London office, it was a small upstart. The center of gravity was in Mountain View in California. And we had to get really good at this whole async work and almost remote, even though we were in an office, we had video conferencing technology, but it was kind of like working remote way, way back in the day. And that obviously is a very typical way that many companies work today. That experience stood me in great stead when I came to Stripe. So I joined Stripe in 2018. And one of the first things that I spent a lot of my energy on was how are we going to distribute our engineering team around the world? Stripe got started in the Bay Area. Today, we are a global company with dual headquarters in Dublin and in San Francisco. And the reason that we wanted to have our engineering product development team located all around the world was really two things, a recognition that one, there's a tremendous amount of talent outside the Bay Area that we couldn't ever have come to work at Stripe if we didn't enable that, right? And two, our users. So exactly what I was just saying, it's important to be really close to your users. And there really is no substitute for getting on a video call or even meeting them in person. And as we are seeking to enable upstart companies from anywhere in the world to access this global economy in the same way that the internet lets you access you know, global consumers everywhere, it's really valuable for us to have product managers, engineers that are in each country and able to actually get deep with the folks trying to build their companies on Stripe and understand what are their hopes and dreams for the future that we can help serve? What are the unique pieces of friction that they run into and the opportunities for us to serve them better? So that experience really was very formative for me. And I think is something that I have taken into the work here at Stripe and is also particularly relevant for, for anyone today. I think folks starting startups have a choice to make today of, do we want to be all in one spot? Or do we want to take advantage of maybe the ability to attract a broader range of talent if we start this company as remote first? And um, 
going from either of those models, you know, once you, if you start in one place, you're going to want to be able to engage with potential customers everywhere. Or if you start remote first, you want to make that work from the early days, I think is super important for everyone today. Thanks for that. And I think that's going to be a good foundation for us to cover a little later when we start talking about scaling teams, because obviously the advice you've given works really well when you've intentionally designed it around something, but sometimes shit happens and you have to alter your designs according to the circumstances. So I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are there for somebody who's caught halfway. But let's now fast forward to 2018 when you joined Stripe. And I just want to get an understanding before we go much deeper in your current role as CTO. One of the things that came up, as I mentioned to you before we started, is this idea that the role of a CTO is not particularly clear. So as you progressed within Stripe and as you set the agenda as a CTO, help the listeners understand what does being a CTO mean to you? What does it mean to Stripe? And what do you think it generally means to the internet? Yeah, CTO is one of these job titles or roles that I think really means different things in different companies and different things at different stages of development. I joined Stripe as head of engineering, as lead engineering and product. We had that all together in one org at the time. And then the role kind of developed to be CTO over time. I also spent time last week having lunch with a bunch of seed camp founders and CTOs in London. And a lot of the folks around the table had the job title CTO. How I think of my role today is... I am responsible for engineering as a job family. By no means do all the engineers at Stripe for my part of my org or report to me, but I really spend a lot of my time thinking about how can we make that job family successful. I spend a lot of my personal time thinking about our infrastructure and our horizontal concerns. And I think a lot about is our technology roadmap for the next several years the right one. And I spend a lot of time talking to our users, small and large, to make sure that we are bringing their needs into that technology roadmap. So that's what I'm doing today at some scale. It's very common for CTO in an early stage startup to be the person who's hands on the keyboard doing a lot of the, the product building. Oftentimes they're the person that's making sure that the whole design of whatever you're putting together comes together well. And then that often matures into what you'll also hear described as VP engineering, the manager of the engineering team. And each of those roles is probably the most important thing that the person in that seat could be doing for that business at that time. And so as a CTO, I think it is actually quite important to really think about what does my company need from me right now? What are the biggest technology challenges and how can I both put together a team and spend my time and energy to address the best? That's a helpful definition. Thank you. And actually lots to reflect on there about what leadership means. So let's take a step to modern day and we'll jump around a little bit from when you joined to today, but maybe just so people know exactly where you are today in terms of the biggest issue you have. Like right now, what is the biggest issue that obviously is non-strategic, but just having to do with organizational development that you are dealing with right now? So at Stripe, we build economic infrastructure for the internet. We got started building a payments API, making it possible to accept credit card payments online. And we did all the things that I described earlier, focusing on our users to make sure that that API worked really well for them. Then the early team at Stripe took a step aside and thought hard about what are the ways that we've been working that we want to preserve as we scale and have been most important in getting us here. And we distilled those in a set of what we call operating principles. So these are distilled from the behaviors of the most effective Stripes. And they're real, like we spend a lot of time thinking about them and our work in the context of our operating principles. The first one of those is users first. And it is by focusing on what our users needed that we figured out what we need to do next. 
So, you know, we would talk to users who were integrating the payments API. In fact, in the early days, we worked with several startups who were integrating the payments API. As we got talking to them, we realized, ah, yeah, okay, you need to accept credit card payments, but actually you're building these multi-sided marketplaces. So these included companies like Lyft at the time, they were called Zimride, Shopify, were building this e-commerce solution. And there's a lot of heavy lifting you have to do when you build a system like that. A multi-sided marketplace requires you to onboard the businesses you might pay out to and know who they are. It requires you to do all kinds of reporting, you have to have the right licenses in place. And we could see these companies solving these same problems again and again and again. And those ideas became the genesis of a, a very important product at Stripe called Stripe Connect. And Connect is um, our product for platforms and marketplaces. And by working with those businesses, we were able to make sure that it actually took the pain away from them. And what Connect really does and what Stripe really does at scale is create simplified abstractions over all of this complexity in the real world's financial systems to allow them to go about their business doing uh, whatever it is that's unique to their business. And, and we can take care of all of the, the complexity that, that is under the hood. Connect has turned out to be a, a tremendous engine for the growth of a lot of platforms out there, both software as a service platforms and marketplaces, because it enables them to focus on what they're doing. It's also been a tremendous engine of our growth because it enables us as Stripe to produce more products that those platforms can then offer to the businesses that they onboard. So for instance, if you are getting started as a company and you want to do e-commerce, you probably choose Shopify. That's one of the best solutions for e-commerce out there. But then today, what you can do as Shopify is you can say, I would actually like to distribute financial technology products. This is the fintech revolution to these businesses that I'm onboarding. And for instance, their balance product, which is a money management account. Most businesses, by the way, accept their first pound, euro or dollar before they actually have a business bank place. So they can offer a money management account, which is built on Stripe Treasury directly to these users because they've already been onboarded through Stripe Connect. And so the point is that Stripe operates as this platform for our users to get tremendous leverage across all of those capabilities that they might want to build into their product, their service, and offer to their users. And you asked initially, what's the biggest problem at Stripe? Well, what we're really focused on right now is we can see where the world is going for the next several years. And we're really focused on getting an internal platform, the next generation of our internal platform in place in order to enable us to do all of that at greater scale and faster for our users. So that's the thing that I'd say I'm most focused on right now. But what I think is pretty interesting there is the idea that it's really important to build an internal platform really comes from focusing on developer productivity. So we invest a lot at Stripe in making sure that all of the engineers who work here, engineers, product people, designers, so forth, but here I'm talking specifically about engineers, have a really productive time. It's very easy to turn those ideas and insights we get from engaging directly with our users into experiences and products that we build for them. And in order to do that, we need to invest a lot in making those engineers productive. From the very early days of Stripe, we had a dedicated developer productivity team. So even when we were about 30 engineers, we had a couple peel off and say, we are going to spend all of our time focused on making all the other engineers more productive. And this has turned out to be pretty important for us. So I mean, a couple of examples of things that we've done by having such a team, we built Stripe in the early days, all of the core product infrastructure in Stripe was built in Ruby. Ruby is an awesome language for doing something like this. It has tremendous developer productivity, but it's a dynamic language. And what that means is it's dynamically typed. What that means is that as that code base grew over time, we find it increasingly challenging to move fast, 
without making mistakes. And of course, we can talk more about you know how we offer a really reliable service at scale in a few minutes, maybe. But we realized that if we have, were using a statically typed language, that would be much easier for us. So we invested with that developer productivity team in building a gradual static type checker for Ruby. There are not a lot of startups in the world that would say, you know what, it makes sense for us to take you know 5% of our team and put them on a programming language project like that. But it turned out to be tremendously important for us. So we've now open sourced that product. It's called Sorbet. It's used by many other internet companies, including Shopify, to type check their Ruby. And it enabled us to actually accelerate our development because by using static typing, we were able to confirm the safety and the correctness of our code before it shipped out into production. And so this point about getting the future internal platform right is, is just taking that developer productivity investment really forward to a company that will have you know, maybe thousands of engineers. In such a setup, you really want to make sure that each team can operate as independently and autonomously as possible while being able to build products that fit together well and, and systems that fit together well. That answered almost the three next questions I had. And as you were answering, I was thinking... You can ask them anyway. We can like, go into more detail. I, how do I get more detail out of that? So I was thinking about how to creatively get more detail out of that. Now, what I got out of that was a couple of things. First of all, I didn't know that you called your Stripe colleagues Stripes, which is cool. And one other thing I got out of that was that there was operating principles that some Stripes are using that you guys have a method, in spite of how large Stripe can be, that you have a method of identifying and cataloging, which is unique. I hadn't expected that. But furthermore, that you've now created a team that's called the developer productivity team, whose job is solely to take some of those operating principles, productize them and distribute them. So now here are the three questions that I had, and maybe within the backdrop of those questions, maybe you elaborate further. So I was curious about how you scaled a process into a product but how do you coordinate innovation at a large scale, which is a prioritization issue? Even with the developer productivity team, I don't know if they have the authority to make those decisions of prioritization of the innovation in you know five teams, each with operating principles that work effectively. So who makes that call? And then lastly, how do you update processes between teams, which is a communication challenge? So this is just an extrapolation from your previous question, but around prioritization and communication. So on prioritization, to be clear, this is definitely something we grapple with. It's hard to do all of these important things. We, you know, when we hear about problems that our users would like us to solve for them, we really want to solve as many of those as we possibly can. So it is important to prioritize. We do have to try to figure out, well, where is the greatest opportunity for these businesses building on Stripe or potentially in future building on Stripe? Where's the biggest opportunity for them that we can put our energy? So we do that from a product perspective, by really listening to them and paying attention to the areas of greatest need. And we actually apply exactly the same framework, although we've got some different techniques internally. So there are, and yes, we call folks working at Stripe Stripes. There are lots of Stripes today who build internal facing systems. So our infrastructure teams, our developer productivity teams, a really good example of this. They're building stuff for other Stripes to use to serve our external users better. That principle of users first, understanding who the users are and what they need and what their hopes and dreams are and what their friction points are, it works equally well internally. In fact, it's even easier internally to, you know, it's the same within this metaphorical same four walls. So you can jump on a Zoom call and understand things maybe more easily than you can to figure out how to get on the calendar of someone who's outside of the company. So we run the same loop, but what we find, it's really, really valuable 
to make it as easy as possible. So thinking about developer productivity in particular, as easy as possible for anyone to report something that they wish had been different. And then you put all of those things together and look at the most common reports, the areas of greatest pain or opportunity and use those to prioritize. So for example, every single developer tool at Stripe has a mechanism to report a little issue, which we call a paper cut. So if you run into anything that's frustrating or runs longer than it should have, or has an error you didn't expect, very easy to report a problem. Every single page in our internal documentation has a little button in the corner. It's actually a cute little octopus. The octopus is crying, unfortunately. A little, a cute little octopus button. You press that super quick to get an issue reported to this developer productivity team. And then they do what I said. And that really is an expression of that same operating principle we have of putting our users first and listening to them and using them to prioritize what we might otherwise do that we use externally too. And I guess that also functions as a communication mechanism at the same time, communication and coordination. Absolutely. Thinking about communication during the pandemic, it's been really interesting for us to figure out, well, how do we continue to do this listening to users thing, right? So we used to get people together in person. We'd run events. We have an annual user conference that we would bring a lot of folks to. And it was always you know, gold to get all that feedback. We would go to events, uh, including things like the lunch I did with uh, some of the CCAP founders a couple of weeks ago. So it's great to be able to get back to this. But during the pandemic, we had to find additional mechanisms We've actually spent a lot of time using tools like Twitter to hear directly from our, our users. So you will frequently find, uh, I mean, John that's and Patrick brave. both do this. Go ahead, Carlos. That's, that's brave. That can go either way. It, you never know. It, it is brave, but you'll often find product leads for specific things that we're working on at Stripe, you know, engaging on Twitter and saying, hey, tell us your feedback. And we love that feedback. And oftentimes there's a lot of complaints there. We work hard to make sure that we're doing the right thing with all of those. But it is where a lot of our most important new product ideas have come from in, in the last couple of years. I mean, for instance, I think in 2020, Patrick tweeted asking, like, what do you want to see next from Stripe? And a tremendous number of folks, especially in Europe, said, hey, VAT, sales tax outside of Europe, huge problem for us because we know that we should be doing something, but it's kind of arcane and hard to know if we're doing the right thing. And those ideas are the ideas that led us to invest a lot in building Stripe Tax, which is our product for calculating and helping businesses, small and large, deal with sales tax, VAT at scale. So it's really interesting, I think, to continue to look at the world around us and think about what are the right ways to live these principles that we have that work well for today's world at today's scale. Does that make sense? It totally does. Yeah, that's super helpful. Moving a little bit now more specifically to people, how do you manage your team's career ambitions? Because one of the challenges that everyone's having, maybe less so now that things are in terms of employment and everything sort of changing, but just curious as to how you think about retaining and training and coaching and encouraging and promoting. Yeah, great question. Like many companies out there, I think I spent some time with the Seedcamp crew a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think the principal problem that most companies getting started have today is attracting the right talent, hiring. And that's true of Stripe as well. So, I mean, we're hiring rapidly. We will no doubt continue to hire rapidly because there's so many challenges for our users that we want to solve. But when you're, and I think everyone is in a situation where it takes a tremendous amount of time and focus to hire the right people. I think at Stripe in the early days and today, we're kind of known for really obsessing over talent when it comes to hiring. We will really take the time to get to know people very well. 
and understand and help them understand exactly how they will contribute to Stripe or have the opportunity to contribute to Stripe. And that really comes with sharing a lot of our mission, which is increasing the GDP of the internet. It is literally about helping companies get started that would not otherwise get started and helping companies scale and grow in ways that they otherwise wouldn't be able to through technology. We spend a lot of time helping folks understand that that's why you should join and then help them understand what they will do. We find that that helps us bring the right people to Stripe. We're actually, I think, pretty well known for if we find a person that we think is a tremendous fit for a particular role, we'll wait, like we'll court them for a while and keep going back and saying, hey, look, you really should consider this Stripe thing. And I'm sure there are many folks at Stripe that can tell that story. But you're getting to a very important point as well, which is, okay, so you've managed to hire a team. It's really important then to think about how you can develop all of those folks and help everyone learn and kind of play the biggest part that they can and kind of fully realize the potential that they had for this mission at this company. One of the things that I think is interesting about Stripe, it's not unique, but it certainly differentiates us from a lot of other companies, is we care a lot about being meticulous in our craft. So we actually view the process of building these products for our users as a craft. And we want to make sure that we polish the edges so that the products are super easy to use and adopt. We want to obsess about the details of our infrastructure to make sure it will scale into the future. And so the primary way that I think about everyone developing in their careers as software engineers, designers, product managers at Stripe is to actually get better at that craft. We need to be uniquely good at API design and developer experiences. It's just the nature of the company. And there's no real substitute for learning from getting reps in, like doing it again and again, seeing how users respond. And um, there's also a tremendous amount of that that we can teach each other. So we have a really vibrant written document culture at Stripe. And I think that it's really valuable that folks share a lot of the lessons that they learn along the way, both the principles and the abstract, but also the nitty gritty little details of like, this particular customer had a problem with things being structured this way. And we should think about how that generalizes or, you know, the naming of these parameters, that was very difficult to understand. And here's how to think about naming in general. So we share a lot of the crafts internally, and that's a really important way to think about developing in these roles at any company, but in Stripe in particular. It's also the case, of course, that what we are doing is growing in scale and complexity over time. And very similarly, when you think about operating something like the Stripe API at scale, we care a tremendous amount about operating our services with tremendous rigor and reliability. So if you think about the nature of our business, we are helping businesses move money into their business and move money around their business and pay their suppliers, pay their staff sometimes, because you know it's a totally mission critical thing that we do. We need to do that really, really well. And th the only real mechanism for doing that is to have systems that ensure, by the way, there's one way to do it, which is to never change anything. That's not what we want to do at Stripe. The world, the financial world around us is changing rapidly. Our users need us to help them adapt to that. So we want to move quickly, but we want to move quickly while having things be robust and stable. So the only real way to do that is to figure out how can you operate in such a mode that there is automation of a lot of testing. You really kind of put a lot of effort into that. And then systems and processes that actually control changes as they roll out. And then a learning organization because things will go wrong, but we have to make sure that when they go wrong, that happens at small scale, we detect it early. And then every one of those, we obsess about learning from it. I think the way that we've gotten 
reasonably good at this at Stripe is number one, we did have to hire folks who had seen this before. We had to bring folks to Stripe who had operated in those kind of environments before. We then had to enable them to teach everyone else how it's done, make sure that we have a forum where we're talking about these things and sharing insights. And then it is all about every engineer across the company, every team across the company, getting the reps in and the craft of doing these things well at scale. And that's another way that I think about growing talent, which is how do we learn from the experience of other companies, bringing it to Stripe, and then how do we disseminate that knowledge and have this attitude that we are going to be a learning organization together? Man, I, I love it. You like know exactly what questions I'm about to ask because you've answered it beautifully to the previous one. I was going to ask you about the operating principles of Stripe and, and how that led to the dissemination of information and how you leverage developer productivity internally and how you develop it. So thanks for answering that one, which leads me to my final fun question. I say it's fun because it's a fictitious scenario, but I'd love to hear if you could lock yourself away for 12 months uninterrupted. What tech transformations would you be focusing on to level up Stripe to the next level? 12 months, uninterrupted, deep work. What would it be? So I talked already about us being very focused on having the right internal platform for the future. Of course, one of the great challenges in having the right internal platform is we do all of that while operating everything else that we do in parallel. And that's the right way to do it, right? We, we take the responsibility of operating everything that we do very, very seriously. So kind of cheekily, if, if there was 12 months completely disconnected where we could all just go and focus on getting that right, I think that we would get it done really well and very quickly. So we would do that because it is what we're already doing. I think we never have the luxury in any company where the systems that you're operating, the products you're operating matter, never have the luxury of, of doing that in isolation. I think, you know, other things that I would spend a lot of deep work on and do are um, systems for how we invest in and develop talent. Like what, what are, what are the right set of training courses we should go and put together to help make everything I just talked to you about for the last 30 minutes come true at scale. And again, that's something we're doing, but it would be amazing to have 12 months to actually dedicate to that, you know, on its own. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it would be a lot of fun. I think a lot of people would probably relate to that. So with that, David, I have so many more questions I could ask you, but that was amazing. Thank you so much for your time and for joining us. Thank you, Carlos. This was a lot of fun and I hope we can do it again sometime. Sounds good. Excellent, guys. Until next time. Bye.